Okay, so hello everyone and welcome to Speculum, a show where we open up and inspect the most sensitive topics in medicine. My name is Alyssa Zuquette and I am just a medical school that wants to make the healthcare community a little bit of a brighter place. So today's topic that we're going to cover is something that is near and dear to my heart and basically the reason that I started this project. And we're going to talk about uh, discussions around sexual health in the healthcare community. And to do that, I have a very special guest. Would you like to introduce yourself? Certainly. Thank you for having me here, Alyssa. My name is uh, Terry. Uh, my name is Terry Plant, and I'm um, actually a health outreach nurse with Interior Health. Um, so my job is uh, within the public health region, but um, I'm actually I do outreach with patients, and my um, my primary specialty is HIV, um, but we I've also um, got s specialized certification in sexual health management. So. That's why I am. I'm here today, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Um, for people that don't know, maybe could you clarify what you mean by like outreach kind of? Sure. Nurse? So in in my role as an outreach nurse, we um, have three basic pillars, and the first one is education of the public about um, sexually transmitted infections, HIV, and other bloodborne body fluid infections. Uh, and just um, dispelling myths, reducing stigma, um, and just getting people informed because knowledge is power. So uh, we get invited to uh, different health fairs or we go and track down different health fairs um, in our various communities. I belong to a program that is Interior Healthwide. So we have um, nurses who do my job all over Interior Health and including First Nations communities. Um, so we go visiting health uh, fairs um, and put up displays and also offer testing. So that's the other component mm -hmm. of, our, of our work is to test. Uh, again, primary focus is HIV, but we know that with HIV and other sexually transmitted infections, they can coexist. So um, a lot of folks, um, interestingly, sometimes don't make that correlation that they're coming in for, um, they're wanting chlamydia testing. Um, for whatever the reason might be, and they don't realize that with chlamydia infection, um, there's an increased chance of HIV infection as well. So we also offer HIV and do all of our screening for um, the other infections as well on a one-to-one -one basis with people. So we go through and have that conversation with people about their sexual um, history and their knowledge of sex and, and all that uh, stuff, which I can get into a little bit later if you'd like. <laughs> um, so we also, in our education component, um, let people and physicians, the public, but as well as physicians, know about the latest um, re recommendations or guidelines set forth by the province. And in terms of HIV, um, the recommendation is that all adults between the ages of 18 to 70 should know what their HIV baseline is. And then based on the risk factors, uh, would they would decide with their healthcare provider how often they should be tested. And along with that is also the um, looking at things in a more encompassing route in terms of discussing with, with the patient their, uh, the risk factors and how to uh, lower the risks. So um, in my job, we do a lot of harm reduction. Um, we have clean needles. And I'm going to get away from the term clean because that's not even really politically correct anymore. It's new versus old needles. 
because we want to reduce stigma. So, um, so we do needle exchange with our clients and with, when we do outreach, try and reduce, um, HIV spread. Um, we offer, uh, new needles and we'll take old needles, um, under safe guidelines. Um, and, uh, we also talk to the clients about their, about their, um, their substance use and let them know that all components of the equipment that they use shouldn't be shared because the infections can be spread through not just the needles, but all the other uh, paraphernalia, if you want to call that. Um, use of those as well can, can transmit infection. Um, we also, of course, um, ta- are quite, quite frank with our clients in terms of their condom use and um, try to look at... Um, uh, what circumstances they might be in, which would cause them to use condoms versus not. Um, and from our standpoint with the work that we do, we can work with very high-risk individuals where um, the, the lifestyle or the, the circumstances that they're in uh, can cause um, it to, there, there to be higher risk that they wouldn't. So we, ha- we go into conversation with them about that. And this is all um, creating trust perhaps within 10 minutes. So the trick to that is to make sure um, our experience has been that we go in with a wide open lens, uh, meeting people exactly where they're at, and just being open and flexible, non-judgmental attitude, just to and be curious as to who the person sitting across from you, um, who they are, and what their values are, and what their needs are, their perceived needs, even if it doesn't match my own. Uh, and that's probably, you know, the, the crux of our, um, of our work is very client-centered, okay? We have our agenda, but we work it in conversationally um, with conversational dialogue with our, with our clients. So that's, that's uh, what we do in terms of education and testing. Um, we also provide um, support and linkages to other community partners to uh, help with the social determinants of health. Um, if we have especially high-risk clients, we try to get them engaged with um, community partners like, say, um, housing, BC Housing, uh, John Howard Society, um, you know, there's, a, 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 what else, Canadian Mental Health Association. Um, so, yeah, we, we join up forces with all sorts of, of uh, organizations uh, according to client need, also being culturally sensitive um, to the client needs as well, and being aware of what that means uh, to be culturally sensitive. Um, we also like to um, educate physicians, and uh, we've recently, um, at the beginning of our program, we had done uh, CME um I guess modules uh, through the university, the BC, UBCO. Um, Sorry, that was UVic, I think. Uh, so anyway, through a certified universe, accredited university to, um, to bring forth the information to physicians about HIV infection and the new, um, the new recommendations, and uh, as well about what our job looks like in terms of supporting their practice. So that was all done at the beginning, and to encourage physicians to offer HIV as just part of normal practice. So we do a lot of uh, linkages and conversation with physicians. We also um, have just recently started uh, 
getting more information out in other avenues, like uh, websites that physicians will use as a resource, for instance, Pathways, and um, newsletters through the phys- uh, divisions of family practice. So it's really being aware of what resources are in the community so that you can tap into them. So um, we're, we really would like to uh, be able to um, have physicians know about uh, um, and be curious about the supports that are out there for them. Wow. <laughs> I kind of started to ramble, didn't I? <laughs> no, that's amazing. Like, I heard so many good things in there. Um, stigma reduction mm-hmm. um, and harm reduction supplies mm-hmm. and non-judgmental. And I love mm-hmm. it all. It's all so great. Yeah. Um, I'm actually curious because I haven't really heard of these. Uh, you mentioned where you see most of your patients um, in a health fair setting. What kind of, what kind of health fairs? Are there? I'll give you an example. Uh, I just recently did one last month uh, with West Bank First Nation. And so some of the communities or um, community partners that we partner with will from time to time have wellness fairs. So they they, um, get people and partners and uh, people who are interested in wellness, and they could even be vendors who are wanting to sell product. Um, But most of the time it's people who have... um, who have uh, organizations or not-for-profits or offering services to, to the public, like myself, who come and gather it for a day. Uh, and we're all in one venue, and we have booths set up where we're offering information or um, services or whatnot. So at um, health fairs, we'll have a display that talks about um, HIV, talks about those other uh, bl- blood and body fluid exposures, um, and prevention, and then um, under the right circumstances, because the testing that we do, we want it to be private and confidential, uh, we'll offer testing. So we're kind of a mobile unit that way as well. Mm-hmm. So testing is wherever uh, wherever it works, wherever it fits. Yeah, so that's that's the health fair uh, portion of the business. And from those, I, can f- I actually find that um, you can actually make further connections and, contact- and contacts with other people in other communities, other services in other communities, because sometimes services won't be just from, say, Kelowna. They could be from Peachland coming into Kelowna. They could be from Lake Country coming into Kelowna. And so because we, we stretch out from Peachland to Lake Country in our certain um, geographical area, for uh, for the work that we do here in Kelowna, uh, those are good connection points that we have to be able to offer services to to um, their community according to their needs and their client needs. So yeah, in the context of sexual health and HIV, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's that's kind of what the health the health fairs are about. Um, do they they don't happen all the time? So we kind of uh, we need to create our own through our community partnerships. Um, I have regular testing um, nights at different shelters and um, uh, bridges detox, uh, like detox uh, withdrawal management programs where people. Um, are into the recovery stage or they're starting to gain some more strength within their lives, sometimes that is can also be the perfect place in which to also address, um, let's see where your your status is now for HIV and other STIs. And they, they start to they they start to feel as though they have the the energy and the power to deal with those things. 
And so it can be perfect timing to be able to address some of that. And then if you happen to come across where you have to do follow-up, you also have, I don't want to say a captive audience, but you have an audience there who have more of the inner strength, um, the inner resources, their toolbox, so to speak, um, to be open to hear further what we have to say and to engage and to care. Mm-hmm. So we, we, our philosophy is kind of get, see people where they're at. If they have two feet and a heartbeat, then we're good. <laughs> right. Yeah. And do you find it um, difficult to get people to let you to come back ever? Or have you made such good relationships with these people that they don't mind the continued follow-up? Yeah, if, if uh, the, I've, I've gotten really, generally people are so happy that we're there as a resource because um, we're always finding in the community in, in public health that, that the resources are a few and the needs are many. So it's really important to be able to develop that community partnership um, and not, you know, and um, I find when I'm working in a silo, I'm not as effective. When I'm working with my various partners in community, we're, we're strengths-based. So mm-hmm. we use all of our strengths in order to bring out the strengths in the client. And that's kind of the juxta of where, where, where our philosophy is at in terms of client care fantastic yeah it's exciting it's a it's an exciting way of being able to um, it's fulfilling I guess is the word I'm looking for um, to be able to look at it in terms of of the of um, even when the client has so many different needs and there's been um, trauma it's trauma related the, the behavior you see you're seeing is likely due to um, earlier trauma so keeping in mind that you've got a traumatic, possibly a, a person who's, in, um, who's been in a traumatic um, instance, repeated trauma perhaps, and they're coming from a place where that's their way of coping. The behavior you're mm-hmm. seeing might be the way of coping. Um, because I'm talking about dealing with the clients who are at most at risk, um, we also don't want to ignore the, I guess what we want to call the majority of the public, the folks that are in the mainstream, um, the folks that, uh, you know, they have their jobs and they have their houses and they have, you know, they're, they're looking, you know, it's stable uh, looking lives for them. Um, we still always want to be aware that those folks, though their lives, you know, are stable and they seem to be on top of everything, they also have their needs as well. And it's interesting how in conversation with uh, someone who has come to me with, you know, highly educated um, but they, they also have a lifestyle that I wouldn't have even imagined that they had just sitting there and looking at them, right? Mm-hmm. And so I never make assumptions based on what I see in front of me uh, um, is, that, um, is that they're low risk versus high. That's why we want to normalize our testing process and offer it to, to everybody um, is because we're covering off those who might, for whatever reason, be it shame or guilt or fear of being stigmatized or criminalized. Um, you know, we just offer it all the same. I think that's so, so important to not make assumptions about people, especially with this kind of conversation going on. Exactly. <clears throat> yeah. It's got to be, um, uh, it's got to be based on, um, you know, a fair, a, a non judgmental kind of open and friendly atmosphere, um, uh, kind and with, and with dignity, right? So, um, kindness and respect. And, um, and for, I think for the caregiver and, you know, we all have our own biases and beliefs and preconceived value, you know, pre-programmed values and all those things. 
And one thing that we find in our work is that we have to put ourselves aside, what we believe, and, and go really with where the person is at. Um, so my value system may be totally different than my colleagues, may be totally different than the person sitting in front of me, but I, for the sake of doing what is the best for the client, need to put that aside and not, and not push my judgments on someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, sometimes we may have to deal with um, uh, youngsters who are in a precarious uh, situation and, you know, just being upfront with people from the start that, um, you know, um, what you tell me is held in strictest of confidence unless we develop a plan to make a partnership with someone else to help you out. But, you know, you go through the whole spiel that um, the, the confidential information kind of ends where someone or themselves are going to be at, in harm's reach. Mm-hmm. You know, that whole, that whole talk. But uh, going through further with that, you um, you say, but I I wouldn't I don't share until I've been frank with you in that conversation that we're having, and that we have a plan so that you're safe and that everybody and the person is safe as well. So it's kind of like however that might look, um, having the frank conversation that I I may have to go into more of the legal um, reporting requirements, but. Um, you know, I wouldn't do that without discussing it with you first. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The um, As a person that's just learning about the medical community, the whole duty to report situation seems like a very, a very tight rope that you're walking sometimes, yeah. like when to do it and when not to do it, when yeah. it becomes an actual um, issue that has to be addressed. Yeah. So kudos to you for walking those lines, yeah. it seems, frequently. Yeah. And um, it, it even... Even to this day, there's, uh, there's, I'm sure there's probably quite a few of us who maybe if, who have done this for quite some time are still uncomfortable with that idea, right? Um, still torn about client confidentiality, but the duty to report to protect the public, and it doesn't come without um, emotional, um, some emotional thoughts and feelings, and and just to be aware that. W- what you're feeling and how you're feeling is that's that's natural <laughs> and it's okay and just reach out to resources who can um, who can support you in making those decisions right that's the most important thing definitely because we're human too <laughs> for sure yeah can I tell you something I'm noticing? Mm. You seem really passionate about what you do, and it's great. It's fantastic. So mm. I want to know kind of just a little bit about you. How did you get to this point? Like, how did you get into this work? Oh, okay, sure. Um, I've been I've been a nurse for about 24 years, and um, I started off when I was quite young, and I, I spent some time in the hospital um, doing my due diligence there and learning the you know all the nursing ropes and all the tricks and trades and skills. Uh, but I found that I really did. I really did not get a sense of fulfillment um, or a feeling of independence or autonomy. Um, everything was mostly just kind of task related, and um, or so I felt. And I, at the end of a twelve-hour shift, I'm like, I maybe spent two or three minutes per patient that day. Like, what is with that? And you know, base. To be honest with you, in the time that I was going through nursing, there was all sort um, early stages of my nursing. There was all sorts of changes in the healthcare um, system and how it was delivered in in the province that I was nursing in. So every everything was kind of chaotic and uncertain. So you know, it kind of depends on the flow that you're going in. But it was it was a starting off point for me to say, 
I'm not sure that I want to be a hospital-based nurse. And, you know, in schooling, you hear about public health. And I'm like, you know, I want to see what's out there in community. What does that look like? Um, from my background and my value system, I'm, I'm very, I've always been very aware, especially in my own family circle, about social justice, um, about equity, um, not just equality, and what does that look like and, and how that fits into the society that we're in, right? Um, so I basically uh, started, um, I basically moved to a larger location um, and started uh, looking at um, doing like home care. That was kind of my starting community point. And, um, you know, I really think that the career path that you choose and what you do inside that, uh, inside those years, they're like a stepping stone to each place where you end up landing on to the present time, right? Um, I've always been helping folks who were marginalized, uh, considered marginalized in the community, um, lower social, uh, lower income, um, living in poverty, really not connecting to the social determinants of health. Um, there's some gaps in, in, their, in their health. And uh, home care was kind of bridging the gap for some of those those things for people. So from home care, um, I ended up going into um, community, uh, being a community health nurse with First Nations, because uh, there's a lot of First Nations communities in the province that I have grown up in. That's There's a lot of First Nations in, in Saskatchewan. So uh, basically did community health nursing, working in friendship centers, and uh, it wasn't until I actually moved to, um, to BC uh, about five or so years ago, um, I saw, I was responding to a post in uh, Interior Health, the exterior, the exterior, the external, um, you know, link that was looking for a health outreach nurse. And I, the moment I saw outreach, I went, yeah, I think that, that looks very interesting. <laughs> it also sounds scary, but I want to look into that more. So that's when I was, um, I ended up applying and um, starting casually as a street outreach nurse um, here in Kelowna through Outreach Urban Health. And um, spent the whole year there just really um, seeing people at their very basic needs. And, in, you know, with some of people, say, you know, um, self-identifying as that, man, I've hit rock bottom. <laughs> I hear that time and again, I've really hit rock bottom. I don't know if I can go any lower. So um, our philosophy with our team lead was always that whole, uh, that little phrase that I said, two, two feet in a heartbeat. <laughs> uh, you know, if the, and um, basically meeting people right, right where they're at. It just, it sort of clicked with me. I'm like, I get this. Um, so from there, yeah, I ended up going, uh, couldn't do casual forever and there weren't any jobs opening up. So I went up to Williams Lake and, and took a part-time position there as a street outreach nurse in that community and um, came across my first um, HIV positive client while I was doing a screening to rule out uh, hepatitis B infection in this certain fellow. And um, from uh, there, um, in connecting with the uh, health outreach team that I currently work with, uh, they said, would you like to do casual work for us up there? Because we're missing a nurse up in that area. So I was doing one day a week there. Position opened up, so I applied and ended up going to uh, Kamloops, and then now I'm here. So that's that's it in a nutshell. It's just always um, 
stemming that social justice aspect of things and just um, not not really appreciating or not appreciating, but not really um, sitting at peace within myself, um, seeing a person who's in pain and needing help. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that's kind of how my journey came about to where I'm at. And the rest is history. <laughs> the rest eh? is history. And I really, at this point, unless I see something that <clears throat> really stands out to me in the hospital realm, uh, like say an educator position to teach people more about um you know, public health or being a liaison between public health and and uh, the hospital. I really don't have any plans to go back. <laughs> my my um my hopes now is to uh, be able to engage in a strong partnership with hospital, um, so that when we have clients who are HIV positive, we can connect um, them into uh, more in a um smoother process smoother transition process back out into communities so that there aren't any gaps and and care and that uh, it's timely so they don't get lost in the crowd again so Mm -hmm. that's that's kind of my hope and i work with outreach urban health with that too and yeah (laughs) so and so yeah basically um education is what we do uh testing and we do um do treatment for some stis um as well we have that capacity and um, can, uh, support and linkages to those within the social determinants of health and especially wanting to be supportive of, of doctors, nurse practitioners, other like testing providers, um, and then also having my own HIV client load. So that's, that's basically how it all kind of runs together. There's, there's a bunch of different little arms out there, but we want um, HIV clients to um, to become to the best of their capacity um, and capabilities uh, independent as much as they you know as they can be could be a short stay or it could be many years or maybe um, they come you know back onto our caseload and then we kind of transition them off for a bit then you know it's it's an ebb and flow it depends on the person definitely yeah. So I don't get this opportunity very often, mm-hmm. and um, within the medical curriculum, I'm a second-year student, mm-hmm. um, I find that we're actually really lacking in what we're taught about the social determinants of health. Mm-hmm. So we get lots and lots of lectures that say, be aware of the social determinants of health. They're mm-hmm. so important to your patients. Mm-hmm. Be aware of them. Be aware of them. They never actually give us any resources or any information on what to do about it so somebody tells you that they're in this situation and then what are we doing we, exactly. we're sitting there twiddling our thumbs so do you have any um we're in Kelowna so yeah. maybe do you have any specific advice for physicians in Kelowna yeah. about what they can do about the social determinants of health that you work with yeah exactly well well I guess my first question is they tell you to be aware of them but they do they tell you what the social determinants are very vaguely, they yeah. say like socioeconomic status. Yeah. That's the one that they really harp on. Yeah. Um, potentially ethnicity. So yeah. in Kelowna, they talk about the diabetes epidemic and the First Nations people. Yeah, things like that. Yeah, um, but it's very broad and yeah. not super helpful, to be honest. Okay, <laughs> and fair enough. You know, to be honest with you, it uh, took me getting into this role before I really understood. And I guess probably finishing off my degree where I really started to understand about the social determinants. And yeah, you hear that. That's a tag word, word everywhere. But it, it encompasses a lot of different things. So it, it, um, it basically is on the premise that if um, that um, the outcome of your health can be directly linked to education, to your family of influence, 
um, to finances. Um, and uh, what were some other things? Yeah, the, the community that you grew up in, it can mm-hmm. be related to uh, race so um, and culture and um, trauma. Um, let's see what other things are there. Nothing else kind of comes to mind at the present time, but basically looking at person as a complete whole, all the things that within ourselves that we look at and go, wow, that's a need. I, I kind of need that in order to feel safer, feel better. Housing, that's a big thing. I don't know why that escaped me until just a second, but <laughs> housing is um, probably the number one factor in terms of people regaining their health back is having adequate housing, right? Uh, sanitation, all of those things, all the things that help us to maintain our, our healthiness is uh, what the social determinants are. It's not just the physical in front of you. It's why are you seeing the problems that are in front of you, looking beyond just trying to fix the problem um, by um, diagnosing and, and treating uh, with you know medication or you know um, say referral to physio or whatever. Like why, where, what got them there to begin with, right? So it's kind of taking a step back and looking at the person from a, a completely like whole package. So um, in terms of, of tapping into the resources here in Kelowna, and I think that's probably across BC and probably across Canada, is um, you know having relationship with the ministry. Mm-hmm. So ministry of, oh boy, they change their names so often, but it used to be called the Ministry of uh, Social Development. Um, and there was... Um, yeah, they've changed it so much, I don't even know what they go by anymore. But we loosely, we kind of just call them the ministry. So, you know, linking into that as a resource to help people to get on um, person with disability or helping them to get on uh, social assistance, um, formerly called welfare. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we don't really use that term anymore, but uh, social assistance and helping them to be able to tap into those resources um, in terms of being able to get the benefits that suit their need. Uh, as far as I can understand, ministry has come a, a long way. Uh, they now have um, all sorts of monies that I'm, I'm surprised by every time I look you know, in because it's like uh, that I connect with them because they have uh, money for people who have multiple barriers. It's not just, oh, you've got... Uh, um, you know, a ruined back or your health is declining because of diabetes and you can't work anymore, so we're going to put you on assistance. It's like you, there could be multiple barriers keeping them from getting, uh, being able to um, work anymore. Mm. <clears throat> so being able to tap into those resources, uh, like the ministry, um, your community partnerships within, and when I say community pro- partnerships, um, like not-for-profits, Right. Uh, in town here, we've got um, the Kailona Friendship Society, we've got Metro Church, we've got Kelowna Gospel Mission, we've got Outreach Urban Health, we've got the Public Health Office here, um, we have got um, West Bank First Nation uh, in, um, in West Kelowna, and uh, in Lake Country, there's Lake Country Planning Council, um, well- Health and Wellness Council, Uh, which are a gem in that area and can oftentimes be a resource to other resources. Um, So just um, go and do your Google searches and just look for, if you're looking in a certain community, like um, uh, Penticton, do Penticton Health and Wellness Programs, and you'll get all sorts. There's Boys and Girls Club. 
So uh, the foundry, um, yeah, in from the cold is a, a shelter. Uh, there's also Cornerstone, which just opened up in November, which is down the way from the Gospel Mission on Leon. And um, they have an 80-bed mat program where clients can come and sleep there for the night, but they also allow people to stay indoors during the day when it's cold. So it's kind of like a 24-7 place now until March. Um, be aware also of those who are in <clears throat> authority um, in the community. So the RCMP, um, BC Housing, uh, your local downtown enforcement bylaw, business, there's also business associations who are concerned about the people um, being homeless on the street and not just for their welfare, but also for the sake of their business. Uh, so they, they're often, they're a, a stakeholder. They're interested because they, they don't want it to impact their, their income, right? Their business. So it's being inclusive of all those people, the stakeholders, with the idea, with the ultimate idea that we're going to try to help the person, um, I guess, get to where they want to be. That's probably more useful information that you've given me in a few minutes than I got in <laughs> 10 hours of lectures, maybe. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So, yeah, just really, uh, I guess if there is a piece of advice that I have is that it can be very, um, it, it can be um, energy draining a little bit in the beginning when you're trying to find out who those partners are. But once you've established those relationships, your job gets so much easier because they there's a... Um, there's a camaraderie and a trust that and a relationship that builds between yourself and all the people whom you consider your team. And just to remind yourself that you're not in a silo. Uh, I know that, you know, um, clients can oftentimes as well, um, just talking about stigma, be um, clients can have stigma about physicians as well, that, oh, they don't have enough time for me. They've only told me they can have five minutes. I don't know where to begin you know, and what do I say? And I'm afraid that they'll be mad at me or whatever the case might be, right? I've, I've kind of heard a few of those uh, comments. Right, um, me too. And, you have to. <laughs> and I think the, and you know what, granted, I get it. I really do. Because you guys are um, the ones who have a lot of power to help people to heal, right? Um, but I, I think part of it is changing people's, um, stigma that they have about you as well and realizing that there is stigma and myths and misconceptions out there with with uh, some clients and just being an opening an open and welcoming and a safe place for people to be uh, in our program we're all uh, we try we put out like visual cues to people that they're welcome there and also come at it with an, a welcoming attitude as well so um, like the red, the, uh, the rainbow flags, um, being inclusive of um, uh, and realizing and um, embracing the fact that there is gender fluidity. That's a, a new a term that's used quite a bit now, and it, it, it all ch changes. So you want to be kind of up on, on what the latest is um, in terms of um, gender fluidity and uh, um, that people may not identify with the gender that they appear as. So they could say you could, they could look like a boy or look like a girl, but they may not identify as that. 
So it's being um, getting the comfort level of knowing how to address those people with with the needs that they have, and just being honest and saying, you know, uh, what gender do you identify as? How would you like to be addressed? What pronoun can I use for you? Because some people like to use the pronoun they. So it's just be having the awareness of people's needs and and making and having it be a safe place. And I think the the thing that just to keep in mind is that. Um, people are generally um, fairly, I don't want to say, uh, for, uh, forgiving, I guess, if you're open and honest and say, listen, I just want to make sure that I'm giving you the care that you need. And by doing that, I want to make sure that you're comfortable with how I address you and how you, you know, how my interaction will go with you. So just let me know what your comfort is. And if you don't feel safe, let me know so that we can work on you feeling safe. That's and that's that's kind of getting, I think, a little bit deeper even into care. Mm-hmm. That's could be a bit of a tight squeeze um, for some practices where you really do have a huge client load and, and can only offer five or 10 minutes of time. But, um, you know, that's something that with experience and, um, you know, just being mindful from the start, I think that uh, it can be worked in fairly quickly. Yeah. If I had it my way, it would be on all intake forms. What yeah. What are your preferred pronouns? Yeah. What gender do I identify with? Yeah. If I had it my way. Yeah. We'll see. Maybe in the future. That'll and, be. You know, the, the, the really awesome thing that I'm, that I'm noticing over my 24 years is that uh, the physicians coming out of school are so much more prepared and open and ready um, to embrace... Um, outside of their working silo, that they're really out there and they're engaging and ready to um, off, be offered support as well as to the limitations they can within their practice um, due to time restrictions or whatever the case might be, be able to provide support, right? So there's an open-minded, open, uh, an open-armed um a philosophy I'm seeing more and more, which I think is so fantastic because you guys do have such a, a position of making such a huge change in this world. I'm really glad to hear that. Oh, are you <laughs> kidding me? It's awesome. It's so awesome. Yeah, like I, I we desperately would love HIV trained doctors um, so that we can pass on um, the message of... Um, of trying to get HIV down to where uh, AIDS is no longer even an issue, right? We're not going to see a patient with AIDS anymore because they've their their treatment is so great and they're they're so connected, and uh, that HIV will never progress into AIDS. They can live out full and wonderful lives, right? Um, yeah. So it's uh, the more we pass that along, the sooner we test people and treat people and connect them. Um, the the I guess the more successful that patient will be uh, and, and have the, the inner resources, their toolbox, their, their um, empowerment to be able to live their lives at, at how they want to live them. For sure. Yeah. So I feel like we might be kind of going in this direction. Mm-hmm. So um, as a budding physician here, you mm. said you do a lot of physician education on Let's go back to sexual health. Mm-hmm. So do you have um, any specific advice, tips and tricks for people in my position or physicians that mm-hmm. may be listening to this about mm-hmm. how to approach um, sexual health and sexuality with your patients? Mm-hmm. 
So, um, well, well, let's start with um, going through the age categories, because I know that was one of the questions there uh, through the different ages and stages. Sure. So from our perspective, um, when we're looking at the little wee tykes up to minor, uh, the age of um, um, consent for minors, where they have mature minors, we call them. Yep. Um, we we really want to empower parents or guardians, whomever is in, whoever is the caregiver of that child. We want to educate and empower them and support them to have those conversations with the little ones from the start. Uh, and as early as them starting to ask questions, just to be open and again that whole just openness, just you know what you what's your question and and use terms that are um, anatomically correct. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you know we we try to dissuade people from using PP or you know all those funny little things, uh, the little. Um, you know, little nicknames that people give their private parts <clears throat> and just be honest with, uh, with kids as to what those are called, you know, vagina, penis, but give them only what the question is for, because we also have to keep in mind that <clears throat> their development, their maturity level, their brains are not at the functioning level of giving them too much all at once. So just go with their curiosity uh, where they're at at that particular time, and be prepared to be able to answer those questions or have the conversation with them um, about about safety, right? And what that means to be safe, and having um, and having their their inner strength to know what is good for them and what is bad for them. Like sexual health is a norm, right? That's it's a natural thing. Yes, we're all sexually active people because that's the drive for us to reproduce. And I think the less, the less that people are afraid of it and afraid to talk about it and afraid to be that for themselves um, is, going, is, is going to break down a whole lot of barriers and actually prevent some issues in, in the future. That is why I'm doing this project. <laughs> and that's actually what, that's how this project came to be is I, um, I was doing another project on sexuality mm -hmm. and just all the stigma that I noticed around doing a project on that kind of topic mm -hmm. was baffling. So mm -hmm. I wanted to talk about it a little bit more. Mm -hmm. But anyway, I mm -hmm. interrupted you. Um, okay. Moving up the age mm -hmm. range. So when we get to the to the um, area of mature minor, so sometimes we'll have kids who haven't, uh, whom for their age they're quite mature and they understand the education that we're giving them. Um, and they understand uh, a lot about their world and what's happening around them. They're pretty, well, I guess if you want to call it loosely streetwise, they get it. <laughs> uh, we have those conversations with them directly. And we talk about, um, you know, oftentimes like from, from mature minors all the way up through to adulthood. I, I ask them, I ask for their opinion. You know, I say, what have you noticed around you in um, especially teens, because teens like to be included in the planning. They they want to have their they want people to ask their opinion, right? Because they're up and coming adults, and they they like their voices to be heard. So I find what's really effective is if I'm with a teenager and they're kind of reluctant to talk to me about they're shy and reluctant to talk to me about what's going on with their with their health, their sexual health. I'll say I'll ask questions like, "This is something that I've been working on personally." Um, I'm trying to gain more information for myself about how teenagers view sex. I'd like your opinion. What do you think? 
What do people what what do people in your group or tell you? Like what do you guys talk about? And you know, what terms do you use? What what do you guys feel comfortable with? And just having that conversation and getting their input cuz you're you, you want to express a genuine interest that that um and provide it uh, um provide safety for them. Um that uh, is inclusive and gives them power that they have a voice and and that they're being heard right so that's a big thing for the for the adolescents um in terms of stigma and all that as well um i think that we uh, i think you know there's always that horrible um word that you know people say well they sleep around a lot you Mm -hmm. know they like we've dealt we've dealt with this now what five times this year like what's the deal and you know start to give the that um um perhaps even giving that vibe off to the clients that that you know what you're not deserving of this you've you keep doing this and why are you doing it and i think it's a matter of trying to again put our values in check and realize the person is where they're at for a reason and instead of projecting that the you know perhaps our preconceived judgments, which are really hard to control at times, even in my position, I have to put myself in check at times, and just really get to the get to um, where they are at and, and um, ask them things like about um, uh, access to condoms, um, access to um, contraception. Um, What is their financial situation like? Who are the people around them that give them support? Are they, do they, do they have support? What's their transportation needs like? Um, yeah, and, and getting permission from them um, to be able to talk to the supports around them, be it community partners, like say, for example, Boys and Girls Club, saying, can I work with your caseworker to help you with this, to be able to have access to these things? And, you know, also giving them the opportunity to, um, to help them to find the wording with, with which to express um, the, the, their need, mm-hmm. you know, being able to talk to somebody. So, so saying, um, you know, for example, like you have a bowl of condoms there, um, you know, it, just knowing that it's okay, the bowl of condoms is there for a reason. Go and grab some and don't be ashamed to do so, right? Mm-hmm. They're there for a reason, use them, you know, don't be ashamed. And you know, talking to community partners that if there's a bull condom sitting at the reception's desk, well, maybe they should put them in the bathroom, you know, and, and using those strategies for teenagers who might be a little scared of being stigmatized as being promiscuous, right? Um, and uh, yeah, so it's, it's just, having, um, just having that open communication with them and being curious. Yeah. So how do you find these um, young adults react to these kind of conversations? Like you said, some of them are kind of shy. And- some of them are a little shy at first. <clears throat> so I, I kind of have to gauge on, on their shyness a bit. And <clears throat> sometimes um, based on their shyness, um, I might just give them, start off by giving them information and not pry into their sexual health history. Um, I'll start off by just giving them the information because I find that if you give the information and all the different um, the, the different possibilities, and I'll, I'll give you a, I'll give you a straight up example here in just a second. Then then it's like a uh, it's like a gateway of building trust really quickly, and then they can start to say, well, actually, I identify with that. 
So, for example, um, talking to youth about um, uh, when we're doing testing, I'll say what we can do is we can do what's called a rapid test. So it's a very quick finger poke for HIV, and we'll know within minutes what your status is. And then I tell them, talk to them about window periods of infection, when they contract something as to when they would have symptoms and the possibility that they may have no symptoms. And just to look at that, if that, that they believe that they've been at risk, um, if they've been put into a position where they were put at risk, uh, that to look at that window pe period and and uh, have that discussion with your healthcare provider to let them know that you probably need testing further down the road. Um, so in terms of our work, to be general about it all, we say three months from your last exposure, mm -hmm. right? <coughs> Pardon me, that's to cover off um, hepatitis C infection. And of course, for sure, the 100% surety about HIV, although we can capture that within a couple of weeks if we need to, right? Um, so looking at that, and then also going through um, what people could experience in terms of um, signs and symptoms of infection, and also the reason why we, we could be possibly testing. So I'll give them examples like, uh, and I'll use the window period, for example. I'll say like, okay, so say two weeks ago, you were with, uh, you had unprotected sex with somebody and you really didn't know who they were very well. Like it was just kind of a one-time thing. You may not have even had their name. Um, when should you be tested again? So I'll give them a timeline, you know, that from this date, you should probably be tested down the road here at this date. Uh, but for today's purposes, we're going to establish a baseline from what happened three months ago. And if it was never, then we got a brand new, um, a brand new um, a baseline to go by. So I kind of use it that way, just to give them information, to let them, and something rings true, then they come back uh, with some questions. Um, and so another thing, too, that I'll say that a lot of people don't even understand, or, or maybe not even know, is that chlamydia gonorrhea isn't necessarily found in the bloodstream immediately, right? It can get into the lymph nodes, and it can end up you know, causing people to be quite sick with pelvic infections and the whole deal but we have to test at the site where there could have been exposure. So I'll say that, you know, these germs are a little tricky. We can't find them in the blood. We actually have to swab where there's been exposure. So some people will have, um, will have sex um, anally. Um, some people will have, um, will, will be, uh, have um, sex and it ends up being a throat infection. So they'll have, uh, you know, the, we don't want to try to, we got to go with what people are comfortable with. And if they're comfortable with blowjob, then, you know, we'll use that. But we'll say that if, if the penis was in the person's mouth and they ended up getting some semen in their mouth, that could cause infection in the throat. Um, and vaginally is also another uh, option too. So we can capture those things through swabs. And I can help you with that today or teach you how to do it yourself while you're here. And then we can take them off to the lab today or we, I can do it for you and providing a safe place for me to do that with them. And then, of course, there's always the urine uh, sample that we take. So I just, by giving them the idea or the, the information about how we do things and why we do it, and they'll say, well, actually, you know what? About a month ago, I, sex was a bit rough. And yeah, he actually went into my bum. And I'll say, okay. Let's talk more about that, but for sure, we'll do a swab for you today on that. And then I'll say, how has your health been since then? So you get into asking questions from, from the response that they give you back. And that's how you can decide where to go from there. So in a way, would you say that you're kind of 
you're normalizing any and all acts, sexual activity, and then that makes them more comfortable with coming forward about what they've done themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And I also tell them that, listen, this is, this is, um, re- this is your time. You can tell me as little or as much as you want about what's going on with you in terms of your health history. And then I have that, that example, that, um, that conversation, that if I find that you're in danger, we have to have a discussion about how we don't let this happen again and what we maybe need to do now because it did happen. And those are tough conversations and you may not get the answer that day. You may not have the answers that very moment. So you have to remember that you need to give people some time and you have to do some follow-up. Right. Yeah. And uh, don't put pressure on yourself that you have to have it all solved right now because that may not be the case. (laughs) But you have a starting point, right? And do you find that that dissipates the shyness that people have Mm -hmm. within the conversation? That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes it doesn't because they've been traumatized enough that there's there's probably more that you still have to go through. And some kids you may not um, you may get infrequently, or they may see you once and then they won't see you again. And that's that's okay because you just let them. You know, they may connect still with other partners um, and uh, may come across your path again. You mm-hmm. know. And it's just maintaining that open door policy. A lot of people too sometimes they'll say, "Well, I did such and such," and I'm kind of ashamed, so I really didn't connect with you again. I said, well, great, I'm glad you're back. So how have you been? And let's let's get to business here. What's happening? <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, and it's always just saying, you know, doors never shut. Come back. Come back if you need to. Okay. At the same time, also taking care of yourself, right, and having your boundaries if um, that's a whole other story. <laughs> Do you ever find yourself providing, like, written materials or anything mm-hmm. if you don't think somebody would be comfortable coming back to you? Yes, so people, um, for instance, um, if there's information uh, and some good resources, uh, is katie.ca, C-A-T-I-E uh, .ca. That is, uh, it's lots of sexually transmitted infection information there, uh, information for patients, um, you know, and people that you're, you know, with on a day-to-day basis, BCCDC. Uh, Center for Excellence in HIV Care is another really great resource for uh, for uh, treatment providers. Um, and as well, they can give tidbits to clients as well. But uh, yeah, you, you stock up on some materials, right? And even if it's something that you've kind of produ- produced on your own, um, giving your contact information for them to take away and call you again um, if they need to. And also... Um, yeah, just, and you know what, I find like large handouts or giving them eight by 11s, people mm. are a little reluctant to take that because they're yeah. not really sure how to store it. So um, <clears throat> postcards or pocket-sized cards that have the pertinent information, but as but contact information as to whom they can connect with next. Um, it could be health link that they connect with. It could be the crisis line that they connect with, but having all those important information pieces together in one spot. So, um, yeah, well, oftentimes if I'm going somewhere, I'll have on little pieces of of paper that they can fold up, put in their pocket. Um, Crisis line information, my information, all the different like websites they can look at, smartsex.ca, all the different resources they can tap into. Um, through electronic means and if they don't have access to a computer then I'm giving them um, you know a pr- the age appropriate or uh, lifestyle appropriate information 
okay. to take away. That's great. Yeah. Keep so, a stock. <laughs> so we've talked about children and adolescents. Mm-hmm. Does do you find the conversation changes when you get like full fledged adults, twenties, thirties, forties, fifties? They the the openness is is uh, I find it's a lot easier to be honest with you. Oh really? Yeah, it is um, because people um, for the most part are very uh, and I'm being a generalist here, very uh, savvy in terms of the information that's on the internet. So most of the time I'm finding that I'm dispelling a lot of fear because <laughs> they'll go into a website that could be um, laden with people opinion and not necessarily fact. And they're coming to me kind of terrified that they've caught something horrible. And then, yeah, it's just dispelling those myths and letting them know what the reality is of what they're facing, right? And that there's, there's always hope um, and that it could be you know, very well treatable. And uh, they're not going to die immediately. It's going to be okay. <laughs> we'll get you straightened around. It might not be absolutely today, but we'll make a plan and we'll connect and we'll keep connecting until you're at where you need want to be, right? Yeah. <clears throat> so I find it oftentimes, and you know, humor works. I know that that might sound a little um, laissez-faire, <laughs> but I, I find that as long as you kind of... Um, just let them know from the very start. And I, I tell this to my clients, if I'm testing them, I'll say, uh, and they're quite scared, and they, but they really want a rapid test. I'll say, so I'll give them the ins and outs of all the, the, you know, the rapid testing, what that all means, and that they're going to know their status within moments. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, if they have to test, I'll give them all the disclaimers, right, and all the information. And I'll say, and if you happen to be positive today, I'm going to be asking you if I can draw some blood from your arm to confirm that positive. We have to do that. I said, and I'll let you know what that result is. And I said, and if it ends up being a positive through <clears throat> blood work, you and I are going to be best buddies for the next little while. <laughs> so I'm going to probably be your best friend till we get you straightened <laughs> out and get your infection under control and get you back on your feet. So it's kind of making light but it's letting them um trying to letting them know that it's that it isn't hopeless so mm-hmm. you just say and you know what and if you don't like me and you don't want to hang around with me and you don't want my care help uh, i can help you link up to somebody whom you're more comfortable with so it's always giving them that that avenue that there's there's help out there mm-hmm. yeah um I find it very interesting that you say the conversation becomes easier with adults mm-hmm. because um, when I found, when I was talking about sexuality, it was always kind of the middle-aged people that were like, ooh, we, mm-hmm. don't, we don't talk about that. Like, mm-hmm. what are you doing? And it was the younger people that were actually like, oh, yeah, that's pretty neat. So mm-hmm. I find it interesting that you're noticing something different from what I've experienced. Yeah, and I, the, probably the adults that I... The, the middle-aged to older adults, they they can't, granted, they can be a bit more of a challenge in terms of opening up, especially those folks who are um, your your middle to older age seniors because they, uh, granted, they probably are not. <laughs> they Their lifestyle may be, may be low risk, but I can't ever um, guarantee that, right? I don't truly, truly know. So I basically, again, it's information sharing. It might be as simple as saying, um, you know what, the recommendation, and I'm talking strictly HIV just as an example, but I, then it helps to bridge into the, the STI stuff, right? I'll say, you know what, um, 
the 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 province uh, the ministry the health ministry actually really recommends in this province that all people know what their hiv status is if you're going to get your cholesterol checked or you're getting your um your sugars checked for diabetes you should have an hiv test done too it's just good health practice everybody should know um <clears throat> and then i i'll um, maybe discuss um another thing too is that uh you know what we're finding in um in, in through statistics through reporting because chlamydia gonorrhea hiv they're all reportable syphilis reportable that more and more people in um in their middle to middle late and even into senior citizen um age groups are are getting stis and that could be possibly because their lifelong partner is passed away or they've divorced and they uh they're now in um, a possible social scene that they are not even comfortable with or even know enough about. So they're vulnerable. And just let them know that we're seeing some trends in that. So, you know, I, while I see that you're considering yourself at low risk, I talk to people about it anyways, because there's some people maybe that aren't. So when you give that whole general information again about what is actually uh, statistics and public health figures and facts and everything are telling you, and bringing up that conversation, maybe that person would be more at ease to think about that a bit more and go, and maybe go, you know what, I wasn't really comfortable doing that, but I'm going to search this out a bit more <clears throat> and maybe talk to somebody about getting a test done. But they weren't comfortable at the present because of whatever cultural or familial or societal norms they had in the right. time where they, that they're used to. <clears throat> Okay. So yeah. similar strategies for similar the youth. strategy. Yeah. yeah, you leave them with with information to be empowered, mm -hmm. and they the takeaway belongs to them as to what they want to do. If they want to go through testing with you, that's fine. But at least you've given them information that they can take, and um, you might not get them that day, but maybe next week or next month or next year they'll call you. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, this may be beyond your area of expertise, but I'm just wondering if you've ever. You talk a lot about STIs and HIV, and I know because that's what you do. Yeah. But have you ever found yourself discussing discussing sexuality in different ways, such as sexual dysfunction or um, partner issues, things like that? Right. Um, when when it comes to that, that's kind of a whole different ballgame. And when we when we have um, clients that we see for for our HIV clients that we have on a regular routine kind of basis and have established relationship yeah you bet <laughs> um, and we do have some resources that we would we would refer back to the physician um, to talk to look at um, the dysfunction we also would connect in with uh, with um, counseling um, and there's some counselors out there who are very open uh, to um, all different aspects of, of um, sexual health, right? Um, some of them are actually specialized in uh, the MSM population, men who have sex with men or guys who like guys, right? Um, and uh, have got special training or special interest in, in providing counseling services and linking up through their channels in that way. So... Um, do I deal with it directly to where it's considered to be um, man managed in terms of how the patient wants it to be? Unfortunately, no. 
but I do have resources that I do um, to to help them to find the the perfect person for them. And if they don't, then we we kind of keep connected and and that until we do. Mm-hmm. We have a really great advantage in Kelowna that we have nurse practitioners in our our city who are who are um, generalists but also specialists. And I don't know how to really explain that, but they're really good at keeping people. Um, connected into their care, and if they if something isn't working, people will come back, and they'll they'll kind of keep they'll kind of keep searching until they find somebody. So they're a, a humongous um, humongous uh, vessel of of knowledge and support there. Okay. Yeah. Well, what it sounds like is that if even if you don't deal with it directly, it still yeah. sounds like you're having these conversations. Mm-hmm. So, do you use kind of the same um, techniques as you did for the STI HIV talks, kind of giving general information? Like some people might have problems getting erections, yeah. or like same idea. Sort yeah, of thing? I think I would. And you know, really read the person who's in front of you because and be and try to try to hone in on um, the visual cues that you're getting from people. If f- suddenly they're kind of like looking like they're closing in on themselves, that might be a bit taboo for them, right? They might be really uncomfortable, not feeling safe. And, you know, sometimes, depending on the person, you can stop yourself and, and just say, you look like you're quite uncomfortable. Um, are you okay that we're talking about this? Right. Just check, do a check-in, right? Be open to checking in with them. And, and then just be honest and real with them and, and say, I want to make sure that you feel safe and that the reason that you're here today is being addressed to, as, as to how you feel comfortable. And, you know, to be honest with you, in or, you've obviously came to me because you've got this problem um, that you have, that this is a concern of yours. So what can I do to help you? And just being honest with them about that, saying that, you know, if you're finding that you're not really connecting with somebody, but they've been referred to you or you're talking to them, and they're they're wanting to disclose this. Just say, just again, put it out there. Um, reminder that this I want this to be a safe place for you. And how how can I make it safe for you? And how how do you want things addressed today? What can I do to help? Mm-hmm. People can oftentimes tell you what they need. Right? They'll they'll let you know what their need is or what their worry is or their concern. And the more the information they give you, then you can direct. So just maintaining the floor with them as to that this is their time, they're in control, they're the, they're the captain of their ship. What can you do to help navigate? Okay, that's really good to does know. That, does that make no, sense? No, no, it does, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. And sometimes you, sometimes you might be successful, and, and, uh, and most of the time I think that that's probably, that's been a strategy that has helped, that has helped me, and... and uh, always know that they have the contact information, right? They can always come back, and that's always that open-door policy. Well, if, if, if this didn't work for you today, please come back or leave them with a place where they can go to next. Yeah, yeah. great. Mm. Okay, so one more quick question before mm. I let you go. Yeah. Um, a lot of these techniques kind of seem like they're trying to skirt around the stigma that exists around sexuality, so you're trying to kind of go around it to make someone comfortable. So as budding physicians again, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or physicians, or the public in general, mm-hmm. do you have any tips on how what we can do to reduce the stigma that might make these conversations easier for patients? Mm-hmm. Um, I think you need to be able to find your voice and be an advocate. Okay, so within your clinics, make sure, you know, try to get people on board, find your champion within the clinic, 
someone who can partner up with you to be able to put forth the information that you want this to be um, a safe place for people to be, right? Inclusive. And that we want to make sure that we um, are <clears throat> um, welcoming people in so that we can help them to gain independence back, right? And that they're not, say, making multiple trips to the emergency department or that they're um, making multiple visits to you because they're just not getting their needs met, right? And that in and of itself is great, but but when they start to gain more independence, you know that they're starting to get back to wellness, right? So <clears throat> I think making, it's, it's an attitude change, I think. Um, it's a different mindset. It's a different way of thinking that you want to, it to be open door. Keeping um, posters and other things, visual cues in your clinic to make it welcoming, like posters that say, uh, for instance, when's the last time you had your HIV test done? Ask your doctor about HIV. Ask your doctor about sexual health. Inviting those things in the waiting room. Um, having those um, rainbow banners there, uh, but not just in, in terms of stickers, uh, but also in terms of attitude um, and a different mindset, right? Uh, so hitting the stigma like right on is letting your patient know that they've felt stigmatized and, and all that and find out what from them as you're trying to learn what what was it that stigmatized you like what what was it that you felt was a barrier and what would you recommend that we do here you know getting their input right because they're the consumer of the health care they're the ones that are keeping us all busy mm -hmm. <laughs> so talk about it and make a safe space exactly connect with your partners who are also doing the same thing um and uh you know um when you see stigma happening or you see that, don't be afraid to, uh, to communicate that and, and teach them the way that actually is safe for the, the group that you're serving, right? If, you're, if they say, if they call somebody it, say, well, actually, we don't use that here. We, we use the pronoun that they're comfortable with, right? Could be it, may not be. And just um, awareness, Right, awareness and um, being open-minded and being curious, I guess, is the biggest thing. Yeah. Right. Yep. Well, thanks so much for all the information, Terry. That's oh. really useful. It's a pleasure. I, I like to talk about it, and uh, sometimes I feel like I'm on all sorts of rabbit trails when I <laughs> when I give information out. But um, that's that's pretty much the gist of everything. Yeah, that we do. No, we really really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. And thank you everyone for listening. Have a fantastic day.